my intention is not to uh, name these powwows and get-togethers after like sounding like South Park titles, uh, but unfortunately, that is the reality we're living in. We have World War Three coming to us, sponsored by Applebee's. And I guess what I found out is the name is the Zach Brown Band. Um, that's that's the sick, twisted reality we're in now. CNN sponsoring, CNN and Applebee's sponsoring uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Hey, so this is episode six. As I said, World War Applebee's. We must sanction Applebee's. Uh, before I get to that, we uh, saw something with the CDC and uh, 70% Americans we able to remove their masks. Thank you. Indoors, including inside schools. There was a uh, document from a place called Impact Research. Someone named uh, Molly Murphy, Brian Stryker. This is the polling firm that was uh, one of the polling firms that was reportedly hired by the Biden administration. And I'm going to read this because this is some fun stuff. It's after uh, two years. says, are you taking the win over COVID-19? After two years of necessitated lockdowns, travel bans, school closures, mask mandates, and nearly a million deaths, nearly every American finally has the tools to protect themselves from this virus. It's time for Democrats to take credit for ending the COVID crisis phase of the COVID war, point to important victories like vaccine distribution and providing economic stability to Americans, and fully enter the rebuilding phase that comes after any war. Below, we lay out some strategic thoughts for Democrats positioning themselves on COVID-19 after nearly two years of the pandemic. Step one, declare the crisis phase of COVID over and push for feeling and acting more normal. (laughs) Thanks to Democrats, we are nowhere near where we were two years or even one year ago. Democrats have a tremendous opportunity to claim an incredible historic success. They vaccinated hundreds of millions of people, prevented the economy from going into freefall, kept small businesses from going under, and got people back to work safely. Because of President Biden and Democrats, we can can safely return to life feeling much more normal, and they should claim that proudly. Point two, recognize that people are worn out and feeling harm from the years-long restrictions and take their side. Some underlined emphasis on that one. Most Americans have personally moved out of crisis mode. You guys see the contradiction happening here? Twice as many voters are now concerned about COVID's effect on the economy than about someone in their family or someone they know becoming infected with the coronavirus. Two-thirds of parents and 80% of teachers say the pandemic caused learning loss, and voters are overwhelmingly more worried about learning loss than kids getting COVID. Six in 10 Americans describe themselves as worn out by the pandemic. The more we talk about the threat of COVID and owners really restrict people's lives because of it, the more we turn them against us. (laughs) And show them that we're out of touch with their daily realities. Point three, acknowledge COVID still exists and likely will for a long time. We are not advising that Democrats talk like the Republicans that have largely ignored the pandemic. (laughs) Even pre-vaccine, declaring a return to the, quote, new normalcy does not mean ignoring that people will continue to get it. That we shouldn't be responsible or that we should turn our backs on the medical community that is treating those sick and developing the therapeutics that will save lives. Instead, it means recognizing that the threat of COVID is no longer what it was even a year ago and therefore should not be treated as such. Shutdowns, masks, and lockdowns were meant to save lives, and there was not yet a vaccine that could do that. Voters know we now have the tools and the toolkit to be responsible and combating and living with COVID, 
vaccines and boosters to minimize illness, and masks and social distancing around vulnerable groups. Next point, don't set COVID zero as the victory condition. Americans also don't think victory is COVID zero. They think the virus is here to stay and 83% say the pandemic will be over when it's a mild illness like the flu rather than COVID being completely gone. And 55% prefer that COVID should be treated as an endemic disease. And that's what most Americans are dealing with, a disease with fatality rates like the flu, because most of us... T- <laughs> I'm sorry. I am, I am dying at this. Uh, man, if, if you if you did this a year ago, you or even six, seven months ago, you lose your Twitter account. Uh, because most of us took the personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our families by getting vaccinated. Americans also assume they will get COVID. 77% agree that it is inevitable that most people in the U.S. will eventually get COVID-19. 61% of Americans who have never tested positive think they are likely to be infected in the next year. And thanks to work Democrats have done over the past year, despite believing contradicting COVID is inevitable, most Americans are no longer fearful. Final point. (laughs) Stop talking about restrictions and the unknown future ahead. If we focus on how bad things still are and how much worse they could get, we set Democrats up as failures, unable to navigate us through this. When 99% of Americans can get vaccinated, We cause more harm than we prevent with voters by going into our third year talking about restrictions. And if Democrats continue to hold a posture that prioritizes COVID precautions over learning how to live in the world where COVID exists but does not dominate, they risk paying dearly for it. In November, that was, uh, so the reason I read this is because you're going to be hearing some things at the State of the Union that are going to be right out of this. You notice what wasn't in this memo? Science. (laughs) Um, this, I, 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 I saw this going around yesterday. Someone on a podcast shared it. So I'm sharing it all for you. Um, just incredible stuff here. Just, uh, we're going to take credit for ending, ending the pandemic and, uh, returning to a normal life that several states and most, I'm guessing most people have done already months and months ago. Bravo team. Bravo. Um, I'm going to jump in and just start taking you guys here. That, that was just a fun warm up. <laughs> Um, for you guys to enjoy. So if you, if for those of you that didn't see that, uh, now you've heard it and uh, it's also on my Twitter feed. So uh, you guys can also just go read it from there, share it wide, pass it to your friends and family, and uh, it should be fun. So I guess what I'm looking for today, or tonight, I guess it's kind of our happy hour, is I want your favorite media journalist take that you've seen. This can either be on television, it can be on social media, it can be on the Twitters, it can be on Facebooks, it can be anywhere, anything that you've heard. Um, I'm talking for the absolute most nuclear take that you guys have heard. Uh, We had a good one today with Joy Bayar, bitching that she can't go to Italy. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give you a few to choose from, and and I've already done a few of these. Uh, on the podcast. Let's go with Matthew Dowd. Let me make this perfectly clear. Putin is Emperor Palpatine. The Ukrainian people and all those who stand up for democracy around the world and here in America are Ray Skywalker, Jen Urso, and the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> Pick your side. Um, we, of course, have Anna Lynn Mac- uh, McCord. I'm not going to play that. I'm going to spare you, but those of you who know what I'm talking about, uh, you should know she wrote a poem. Whatever your story, Mr. President Putin, I can imagine how it feels in your heart, but I know if I was your mother, that would be a start. (laughs) 
Uh, we have Marcos from Daily Coast. Look at them wearing masks because they aren't delicate snowflakes like U.S. conservatives commenting on a picture of people hiding in a Kiev metro. I've also seen photos of kids in masks hiding in the metro, which is, uh, that's that's another one. We have John Cena uh, of WWE fame. Uh, we have uh, from Suicide Squad and his own show on HBO called Peacemaker. If I could somehow summon the powers of a real-life peacemaker, I think this would be a great time to do so. Hashtag. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go with, here's one, a lot of people in Ukraine crowding together. Only 35% of Ukrainians have been vaccinated. Less than 2% have been boosted. Uh, we're going to go with this one. This, is, this isn't discussed much, but Putin very much benefits from white privilege. <laughs> I just can't see a scenario in which a black or brown man running Russia would be allowed to invade Ukraine with no devastating consequences. And we, of course, have Tom Friedman, uh, which is a little long. I'm just going to say Tom Friedman, and you guys can just say Tom Friedman, and we don't even have to do his take. We, of course, have John Kerry, uh, who in a soundbite said... Quote, I hope that President Putin will help us stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. Uh, this was also today reportedly from the State Department spokesperson. Uh, oh, God, where is it? Who who said that they still intend to work with, uh, yes, yeah, State Department spokesperson pledges U.S. will continue to work with Russia in areas of key interest, presumably the Iran nuclear deal and carries climate change. Then he says Russia is a pariah. So those are a few selections. Uh, feel free to expand on why whichever one is your favorite, or please, please throw in your own that I may not have seen or that I may not have uh, gotten to. So we're going to just jump in. We're going to I'm going to probably go to about uh, about an hour, maybe a little bit over, depending. So let's do this. Hi, Andrew, hey, Steve. Hey, tell Steve, me what, how you doing? Tell me what is uh, your take and what is your beverage that you are having this evening? Uh, actually, I'm not having a beverage. I'm out running, so that's just oh. uh, if you hear a car running by, that's me trying to jump out of the road. Oh, okay. You can't uh, do both. I mean, uh, is this not America? It is America, but I, as you, I'm telling you, I'm getting about to hit by a car. So if you ever want to keep, uh, I'm Wind Waker. So if you want to, you know, enjoy the expanded thing <laughs> this week, you might want to make sure I don't die. Okay, well, I won't. I, well, yeah, I won't. Uh, I, I won't unsubscribe you should you die. I will. I will continue to collect funds from you and your family long after. Ah, oh, thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate that. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, my favorite. Oh, on the one hand, it's like you have to love Matthew Dowd as as a millennial. I unfortunately get every single reference, and I want to dunk my head into acid because of how much that stupid boomer has just taken. Just trying to connect to the hitman. It's like, you know, he's like that how you doing fellow kids guy about Ukraine. It's just insane. We don't we 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 don't have a Harry a good Harry Potter one. Uh the other one was my favorite the other one my favorite was uh this is the part of the movie where they visit a retired Angela Merkel on her estate and bring her out of retirement for one last job. <laughs> That was my other. That was my other favorite one. Considering what Angela Merkel did to energy in Europe and handing handing Putin sixty percent of Germans uh, Germany's energy and oil crude imports. And... You know, Run! just as a um, that that was not me. There, it's going by somebody who I just jumped out of the way of. So that might be it. But uh, uh, Stephen, the, can we actually just talk a bit about Angela Merkel because? 
after all those pieces of her being the true leader of the free world, isn't it just kind of disgusting how in many ways she's more responsible than Biden or Trump or anyone else for this situation? After, if you're looking for one person after Putin who's most responsible, it's probably Angela Merkel about this whole situation. And it's, and it's just like, how, what is that? Even really smart people like Kevin Williamson really like her. And what does it say about this sort of blindness among the intellectual elite of our country that we had such this admiration for this very mediocre at best woman? Oh, gee, I, I, I would, I would, I would agree if you're looking at, okay, where do we place blame? Obviously not for the invasion. That's all on Putin. But if you're looking at how, how did he get to a point to where he knew that he could do these moves? And, and I said today on my podcast, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that if he attacked a NATO country, even NATO would respond. They'd just be, oh, you know, at least at least he's not nuking. Um, but yeah, it was it's funny because this whole thing with Angela Merkel was just kind of like a symbolic, speaking of like Harry Potterism. When Trump was elected, well, America is no longer the leader of the free world. We must look elsewhere. And that's how you got all the puff pieces of Angela Merkel in the media. And if you guys all remember how they all yas-queened over that photo of Trump sitting and she's got like her her chubby hooves on the uh, table. And and, and he's just and nobody knows what that what the context of this photograph was. There was a few released after that showed it was just like a, one of those snutter, those shutter snap photos where it's like one in like 50 that a photographer takes. And, but you're right. Everyone goes for this kind of stuff. And then nobody stops and looks at what the EU and what they're actually doing and with energy. And as I stated, you know, the EU crafting their energy policy to please a scoldy Swedish teen um, really is, it really is something. And and when this is over and however it's over or whatever, um, people, people in Europe, especially are probably going to have to look at, um gosh maybe this was a bad idea to um you know stand by let Nord Stream 2 happen and and 60% of our imported oil comes from Vladimir Putin and of course you have the UN and as I said two days ago my favorite one of my current favorite genres of journalism right now is waking up to how bad the UN is all of a sudden uh yeah Russia's on the security council they can veto that's bad I'm glad you guys just figured this out just now when, again, there's people who have been screaming about this for years and years and years that basically that building in uh, Midtown or Upper Manhattan needs to be just cratered into the river. Empty. I'm not asking for anybody to die. And uh, to the tune of the Applebee's commercial, I should note, um, w- would be a good one. So, yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting what, you know, when people look back and reflect, as we've done here in this country with Obama and Biden in the 2012 election. Um what her role is in, in, in leading to all of this. So I would agree um, that's going to be of some fascinating analysis. I hope you don't get hit by a car. Joe. Steven, happy Friday, as always. Um, my, favorite, my favorite take has got to be Vladimir Putin and white privilege. I mean, there are no words for that. That is just perfection personified into a tweet. It's, it's like comparing um, him to George Floyd in a way. Like it's like you know, you know, he has white, you know, a black or brown dictator could not get away with some of this stuff. Well, I well, it also makes me think. I can't wait until we get to like literal urban warfare in Kiev between um, his forces and Ukraine. 
and some journalist is going to make an Antifa or BLM comparison. Oh, well, if they were throwing Molotov cocktails, the right would be condemning them or, or something like that. You know that's coming. There are, yeah, and here, I mean, here's my thing. I don't even think we've witnessed the best ones yet. Um, the, the Matthew Dowd one is pretty good because he kind of, Matt Dowd has kind of this white male savior complex and he goes out of his way to like mention the, like two female leads of the newer Star Wars films. He, he doesn't mention Princess Leia and he doesn't mention Luke Skywalker or Han Solo or any of those. He, he, like, he, like, you can see him crafting the tweet and trying to think of, wait, who are the, who are the, who are the feminine heroines of the Star Wars movies? Oh uh, yeah, it's Ray and it's Jin. And of course, anyone who's seen the movies knows that Ray is actually a Palpatine and Jen Erso and her whole crew get wiped out. <laughs> so um, I don't even think we've reached the end of it. We had another one from The Rising Hill. Kim, I- Kim Iverson, Ukraine shouldn't fight back. No one should. Let it go. If Ukraine fights back, it will be devastating and the outcome won't be any different. They can't fight Russia on this. No one can. Best to let it go for now. Use democracy in the future. Don't kill yourself seriously. It's also a very white privilege on Matthew Dow's part to not mention Rose from The yes. Last Jedi. I yes. mean, what the that's hell? That's correct. That was, that's, that's another one. Um, or, yeah, he just, he, he kind of just, he kind of just picked, I was trying to think, like, did he actually just see Star Wars and he just, he just put it in, he just, oh, I'm going to tweet about this. This reminds me of Vladimir Putin um, or whatever, but uh, he, he's, of course, always good for one. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it, we, we could probably spend the whole hour on Matthew Dow. So, um, my my, my take tonight, um, I had two co- two comments that I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, regarding Ukraine. My first is, um, this has to be, and if anybody in the audience who's maybe more knowledgeable or has more recent memory than I do would like to correct me, that's fine. This has to be probably the first example that I can remember. Um, I was like maybe five or six years old when the Bosnian war happened of an actual, uh, this, this conflict right now is an example of like an actual modern warfare conflict between two countries that have, I think, somewhat similar capabilities. Like this isn't entirely a clean cut, like guerrilla operation on one side and a you know, developed nation military on the other side, you know, it feels like while one side clearly has superiorities, there are engagements on ground and there are air engagements too, which make it feel like, again, probably aside from Bosnia, where this is probably the one example of that in the modern warfare style era. Um, And my other uh, comment uh, regarding Ukraine is, likewise, this truly is the first war in the social media age. And and I think you did touch upon this a little bit in the podcast, but it is the first conflict that we just as a world are experiencing where we get to see it on display in in conjunction with all of the ills and the benefits of social media, with the potential spread of misinformation, with a bunch of of, um, amateur videographers, you know, basically capturing cell phone footage on the streets that for all we know could be real or it couldn't. Um, and I don't think, I, I don't really think there's been anything else like it. So um, yeah, I just like your thoughts on those two. Uh, yeah, it, re- it is like, the, it certainly is the biggest conflict since 
uh, advent of social media, um, people were asking me how I could joke about some of this stuff through tweets, whatever. And I have a I have a fun photo that I saved for this. It's from uh, Getty Images of a guy just pouring a water bottle on him while the whole room is just up in flames. Because I, I mean, what 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 are you what are we supposed to do? Like what are, you know, this is this is a war halfway around the world. It's you know, obviously one is a brutal dictatorship, and I know we have one of those on our northern border. Um, but I'm kind of, yeah, like I don't know what you're supposed to do. I I try to traffic in as much accurate information on my Twitter feed as possible. So everything I retweet or whatever, uh, I'm generally saying, okay, yes, this is true, whatever. And as I talked, as Joe noted, I talked on the podcast, you know, there's, I'm really hesitant to just tweet out videos of of anything. I saw this morning, the one going around was the tank crushing that car. And I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, that's bad. But I'd like, I'd want to see more of that. Like, I don't want to see more of it, but I'd like to know where this is from, what the source is, everything like that. Um, the big one right now is the, is the ghost of Kiev, which is this, you know, this Ukrainian pilot who supposedly shot down like seven, eight, nine Russian MiGs or whatever. And that's all over social media. And I'm sitting here trying to track down where the original came from. And there's like one video of this plane flying through the thing with the, across the building. And I haven't seen like a single verifiable source and i'm not talking media it doesn't have to be media blue check i'm talking about somebody who i trust who i've you know seen in the past tweet accurate information whatever i haven't seen a single verifiable source who says that this this dude is even real like it's spread and adam kinzinger's tweeting about it and and everyone's tweeting about because that's kind of what happens in, in war it's like one of the it's like a fable where you know he rallies the people to his side and he's the he's the ghost of keeve and i don't know he drives an uber or something and so I'm hesitant to do that, which is why you don't see a ton of comments or a ton of videos with stuff like that on my feed. Um, because there's just, there's so much propaganda and social media is so perfect for it on both sides. Russia's using it. Ukraine is using it. Um, there was this video of Zelensky, like with his cabinet and they look like just a bunch of dudes going out on the town. <laughs> And I was like reluctant to even like make a joke about that. Oh, just just another Friday night for the boys. But like, if you watch the video of him without sound, it's just, it sounds like they're just like recording themselves going to the pub or something. And so, yeah, it really it really is. And you say, you know, it, we we get all of the good and all of the bad with stuff like this. And this is one of these situations where you look at it and you go, okay, what what would what would have Twitter been with with nine eleven? We probably would have had the Applebee's commercials. We probably would have had those. Um, and, and that's where I, I can't, I don't even want to like go into that because <laughs> we've seen like minor things when it like mass shooting, like mass shooting Twitter is just one of the just absolute fucking worst wastelands of society, um, that you can even go into. There's, there's a couple mass shooting Twitter and microphones on Grand Theft Auto where you can hear like a dude playing or you can hear like a seven year old just dropping f-bombs and n-words and you're just kind of like oh this is the future right here we're all gonna this is it um and of course we all know the next world war is going to take place in meta and that's going to be uh especially even more fun because maybe that's what we're just we'll just move all of the wars to where we can just all hash this shit out in mark zuckerberg's uh frightening technological utopia so yeah there's i mean there's a lot to digest with it there's a lot when you talk about the spread of disinformation and things like that, 
Um, this is kind of one of these cases where you almost you just sit back and read and just watch and just okay, yeah. I mean, the ghost of Kiev is kind of cool, but eh, I don't I don't want that to end up being like some weird propaganda trip, you know, from someone. So, um, those are that's both good comments. Hey, good. How are you? Hello. I'm here. I'm only I'm only like two sips into. Uh, a leftover Molson, which was the the one of the brews of choice for my championship hockey winning team. So nice, congrats! I, I'm the captain, so I get stuck with the cooler. So just once in a while, I'm like, ah, I got three weeks. I'm gonna I'm gonna dip into the. You guys always drink Molson. No, no, it's funny because okay. half the team doesn't even drink, which is weird for oh. which is weird for a beer league hockey team. And then well, you're the captain. Got to step up and take some yeah, for the team. Right, right. And then, which I don't mind, but I wish they would pitch in. That's it. Um, but oh. no, we had bo- we had bottles for the championship game. So we, we went big we went big time. So we had like the openers and everything. And uh, so no, it's, it's usually. Nice. Um, I am not at the bar yet, so I don't have a drink in front of me, but I'll probably have a bourbon drink. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. What is what is um, your what is, as far what is as your the, favorite red hot nuclear take so far of world? Well, well the the Dowd one was pretty funny. I saw that when I was at work, and I I quote tweeted him and called him an ignorant dick for forgetting Admiral Akbar. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the John Cena one was funny, but only because someone else quote tweeted it, and they were like, "Yeah, bro, Taiwan needs you right now. Step up." <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a big fan of of China and groveling for China. I noticed like he's not Peacemaker's not a good guy. That's what was so just like funny about it. Like do you do you guys unless he means a peacekeeper, but then he hashtagged it. So I'm kind of like you have to be meaning your show, which you just plugged. Um, but he's not a good guy, and he's not a very particularly smart. Bad- no, and I think I think his tweet would have been well. He probably wouldn't have said this, but if he was like actually playing peacemaker and said something like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to wipe out Ukraine and Russia all together. And then we won't have this war. <laughs> right. He would, he would have just like advocated for nuking both, you know, all of Eastern Europe and then patting himself on the back saying, see. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I was going to talk about masks, everyone's favorite subject. Uh, Cause in St. Louis, uh, at least in our area, I don't. I'm not sure how it is everywhere else, but in Missouri, our attorney general, we we outlawed mask mandates in our state, and there were quite a few um, school districts that were still implementing mask mandates. And he took all of them to court. In St. Louis County alone, there were like 30 school districts, and they've just been defiant. They they refuse. Everything's been hung up in court, and now, as of today, um, a bunch of school districts are now switching to mask optional after the CDC updated their guidelines. So I'm not sure how it is in the rest of the country. I feel like we're the only state that's still battling mask mandates in schools, but um, I'm wondering if anyone else is seeing this happen too. Um, I, I haven't, but um, when, when people can come up and uh, when people want to come up and speak, then they can probably comment on that. Um, I, the the mask mandate thing is it, it's so we went from three weeks ago Glenn Youngkin is killing everyone to all of a sudden Democrats are taking uh, credit for this. Yeah, 
And as I said, you know, kind of just repeating what I said on the podcast, we have Joe Biden's State of the Union next week, and he's going to be in a mask. And it's going to completely contradict everything where CDC is going or where Democrats want to go. Uh, I know Colorado Polis has been there, has been long ahead of all of this stuff. He's, he might as well be a Republican with this stuff. Um, and like I said, no one is no one is a is a worse messenger for this stuff than Joe Biden has been. And we saw that today with, and I said on the podcast, we saw that with Contenji Jackson, where it, it's like it's her it's her first snapshot where she's introduced to the country and she's sitting there like in a mask, and it's kind of like <laughs> we're at less than ninety deaths in DC from what I was told, um, there's no reason to be wearing them. And yet, you know, Jen Psaki can peacock her way through the press room without having to wear one. And she's still making all the journals wear one, which I, I guess is okay. I'll, I'll side with her on that. They should, you know, hood the journals like Falcons um, just to keep <laughs> them quiet. But it's going to be real interesting next week. It, like the messaging is going to be, Biden's going to take credit for COVID, which is why I read this. Cause I want you guys to kind of hear clips from the Union. You're going to go, Holy shit. Like they just handed him this stuff and he's still going to be stumbling around in his old man walk across the South lawn to this helicopter. <laughs> and, and he's going to be the only one doing it. And everyone, not a single person, not a single journalist will just go, sir, why are you still wearing a mask? As it's like hanging off of his ear. And it's, it's just, it's still just insane to me. Like that these guys, they are seven months late on this messaging. And now it's like, Oh shit, we're going to get, I know. And it's funny to think about last year. I know it wasn't technically a State of the Union, but it was his address to Congress. And he was kind of doing the same thing. He was coming in. We had the vaccines and he was talking about how great it is. And we're making progress on COVID. And every single person in the audience had a mask on. And he was talking about kids in schools and the the, um, importance of early education. And Jill Biden's going to take the lead on this, whatever the fuck that means. And then all these schools were closed at the time. And he was just unintentionally ironic about all of it. And it's probably going to happen again next week. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to Jill Biden on this? Like, I, that's a good, that's a good poll because she was supposed to be, you know, working on getting, you know, kids and schools open. And that just kind of stopped. And it's funny because I said this on Twitter. I'm like, Joe Biden didn't really as much shut down the virus as he did just stop paying attention to it. It was just like, yeah, it's just a thing. And yeah. I mean, the box they're in is they can't give DeSantis or Abbott or anyone credit. That's the problem they've created is they're they're literally moving the ball to where Youngkin and DeSantis and these guys already are. And they have to somehow make it sound like they're the ones kind of turning the corner uh, on COVID. And again, this is something they should have done seven months ago. And it's just I, I don't see it. It's not going to work. This is like this is like trying to plug a dam with a piece of gum. So, uh, Vanessa. Opie. Hey, Stephen. Uh, first, I wanted to answer Vanessa's question. I'm in North Carolina, and we still have an indoor mask mandate in schools where I am and everywhere in my city. So that's still going on, not just Missouri. Is that is that per the governor? Is that the mayor? Go- the governor city? has let it. Governor has. Uh, um, Cooper has let just individual cities do it. So the communist bastion where I am is still doing it. Oh, okay. But uh, my favorite nuclear take, I'm going to do something, two things different. Kind of, one has to be Tulsi blaming the war on Ukraine. Just, yeah, I would uh, also put, uh, obviously, Candace Owens has had some barn burners also. 
Candace Owens just, is we don't, showing we just up. don't have to lean left here. I don't care. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. But yeah, Candace has had some absolute. Uh, Candace is making Ben. Candace is making Ben Shapiro uh, compliment just leaving politics altogether. Um, and the other one had to be Ukraine itself just memeing through the war, which is I got to give them credit for. Just posting, like, yeah, cute memes. Yeah, they did. Like they're doing, like they're showing who is Hitler, and yeah, their official Twitter account is uh, just yeah. He's right. He's like, no, oh, he's right. They're just posting memes and stuff. They're just kind of shit posting. And I, I noted something that said, you know, you have this, you know, dictatorship up here doing this stuff, and you have this free country shit posting whatever. And I noted, see, that's but that's what we were doing with Canada. I mean, that's not really any, yeah. Um, the two things I wanted to talk about were, one, it's remarkable that I was a, like a middle schooler whose dream job was to work at the UN, and now I want every single Republican from Nikki Haley to Donald Trump to run on bombing the UN building itself. People inside, I don't care. Um, turn it into low-income housing, like you said. That's the perfect solution. Uh, and then also, you know, there's a thing where... You know, Dan Carlin talks about the great, like the quote unquote great man and like living through history and born on one side. And I don't know if I, I wonder, we don't really have the generation anymore to talk about it. But like the English greatest injury, how the English probably thought about Churchill or people in Europe thought about Churchill is I just have not seen a political leader in my lifetime act like this Zelensky character. And the fact that he was a comedian to start out with is just remarkable. Um, the guy deserves a statue in D.C. by the end of this. Um, as you, it just, And compared to the leaders we have now, and even our last leaders, between Biden and Merkel, and even Boris Johnson to a degree, he hasn't been perfect, and Trudeau, and even Trump, including that, this guy is just, I don't know, he's a hundred times the man that really anyone that we could hope for could possibly be at this point. The funny thing about you brought up his entertainment or his he was a comedian is that was referenced when he was elected or when he was when he got into power, which was you know, the whole world's just electing Trump people. There's electing people like Trump and like that's completely disappeared. That's something that's just trying to get like memory hold now as all as our media suddenly shows concern over Russia um with this whole stuff but yeah that's it's it's an interesting note on that stuff yeah i mean there's photos of him he's on the front lines and again i'm i'm weary of propaganda um but he's pretty much said i'm i'm staying here yeah i just it's you know it's one of those things where you know this last two years three years i guess it's like you know technically we're always living in history but it's these kind of moments that i i don't even know like I'm trying to collect my thoughts. Like I'm trying to journal like what I was feeling just because like, you know, uh, how much would you kill to have your great grandfather's or grandfather's journal about what the day Pearl Harbor was bombed was like, um, just those thoughts of that day. And I don't know. It just feels like, um, there's also just a massive gap in leadership. Uh, the EU doesn't really have a leader. Um, cause since your, uh, UK is no longer part of the EU. We have a corpse as a president, um, we have a dictator in Canada. Uh, I don't know. I think really the two, le- I mean, I guess who I'd say the two leaders of the Western world right now are Zelensky to a degree and Johnson. That's the only two people that I have any faith in, I guess, Macron to a slight degree, but that's really it. Usually it's America who takes the lead on this, but and I think it's also one thing is that you know, political parties are also being torn apart on this. 
I mean, you have people who used to make sense, like Tulsi being terrible, and then people like Josh Hawley making a good comment. I, I, I agreed with Josh Hawley yesterday. That's, that's a scary moment for me. Um, so neither, I don't think either party knows how to play this. Um, cer- certainly they don't know how to play it politically because it's, if you're a politician, you're, you're taking several positions at one time. If, if you kind of stay grounded and, and realize, yes, I, yes, Vladimir Putin is bad. <laughs> He's a very bad person when, you know, it's funny. I've had people ask me about, like, what do you think about Putin or, or whatever like this? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm the guy screaming about Putin while you guys were laughing at Obama one-liners. Like, welcome to the party, everyone. Um, and I agree. I'm I'm personally largely completely out of step with like the Tucker Carlson right on it, um, or yeah, like Tulsi Gabbard's comments on it, or again Candace Owens' comments on it. And I think what you get, I think what happens when somebody like Candace Owens weighs in, is she's just trying to mimic somebody like Tucker, who Tucker at least has a modicum of knowledge about these events. And so you, you get people like that, or you get people like Benny Johnson, or whatever. We're trying to imitate what Tucker Carlson is doing, and they because they're not educated on it, they just come off like you know fucking morons, basically. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things I've always said about you know politics, media, whatever is uh, you know don't don't weigh in on something you don't know a lot of just to sound smart because most people will see right through it. Most average people will just look right through it and go, "What, what the fuck are you talking about?" Um, but yeah, I agree. Like uh, politics are are all kind of realigning. Someone said to me, uh, I read a comment on the podcast today where someone said, do you think the line of, you know, why why are we protecting Ukraine's borders and, and leaving ours wide open? Is that something that's going to resonate? And just completely objectively, I said, yeah, that line is going to resonate. If, if Republicans ran on that or Tucker Carlson puts that out there, it's a good line. It's simple. And, yeah, people are, people are going to go, yeah, hey, why is that not doing that? Stop the steal. And so – but yeah, um, I completely agree. It's it is funny to kind of just watch all of these, just again these little factions, and um, everyone just comes out w- with the brain takes, uh, which is what we're doing today. Thanks for that, Opie. Matt, what's your favorite take? Um, you know, Stephen, this is a serious time, so during serious moments, I turn to NPR. I won't read the entire thread, but Russia's attack oh, on yeah. Ukraine means there's a stressful news cycle ahead of us. The reality of conflict is always a shock to the system. Here are five ways to cope. Um, I won't read each tweet, but one is breathe. Uh, yeah. Second one is yeah. move. No, no, read them. Read them to the class. Breathe. If you're feeling your body contracting or overheating, step away from whatever you're doing and take a deep breath. Get moving. Do something that feels good for your body and get you out of bed. Get, get you out of your head. Go for a walk, a jog, or a run. Take a moment to take to do a deep, clean breath and comfort decorating to create a cozier space or even learn a new skill. Learn a new skill during a Russian invasion. Nourish yourself. The kitchen is a safe space for a lot of us. Maybe this is time that you finally recreate a family recipe. Or maybe you learn how to make a prettier pie or maybe you just lose yourself to the quiche reorganization. I think that means kitchen in short. Stay connected. When the news is scary, it's easy to get lost in our heads. Reach out to loved ones instead. That look, uh, that could look like sitting down uh, to write an actual letter to a relative, spending time with neighbors, or playing games with family. And finally, log off, remembering it's okay to not be plugged into the news twenty four seven. Yeah, fuck you. I will never. I will never log off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, 
the this whole thing is very interesting, and I left a I left a very long comment, which I normally don't do in your podcast. But you walked me through the Mitt Romney progression. I was a Brooks brother bro in 2012, voting for Romney, like w- looking around the room, crazy, being like, "How can anybody vote for Obama?" And then I was basically called the white supremacist for the last ten years, um, which now makes me such a Trump supporter. It's fucking insane the way I've like changed. I know you don't like to speculate, but I would like to hear maybe your thoughts on how the media would treat a Romney run at president. I know you don't like to say, will he run or could he run? But he's a guy, I'm, I'm a Massachusetts guy, and he's somebody who's always wanted to be president. And he kind of has the Youngkin playbook, especially with like people on the left almost coming to his side the last few years because they hated Trump so much. And he was the one kind of, Republican that really pushed back on him, voted to impeach him, blah, blah, blah. But couldn't you see the media just really be in a quagmire if Romney decides to run? No, they would. <laughs> they would. No, because they because they do that with everybody. You know, I know it's always it's always the you know, it's the it's the losing the losing Republican is always the best one. And so, like, are you so are you speculating in the sense of be, that he gets a nomination because he wouldn't? Um, it's just the, the politics have changed. But you're suggesting, like, if if he ran, and he got a nomination and he's running against, I don't know, Kamala Harris. You know, do you, would you think that the media would lay off of him and call him right? No, they wouldn't. Of course they wouldn't. Well, they not would that they would lay off of him. They would but go down his would... record and say he kissed up to Trump in 2012, and he still kissed yeah. up to him after he won because there was that whole dinner where, you know, Trump Trump looks like David S. Pumpkins, um, sitting there with Romney. Just Romney just is just eating shit the whole time, and they they would find all of that stuff. They would bring up you know his. They go back right into the playbook of the venture capitalism. So no, I just they they would do exactly what they kind of did to Donald Trump, which is fluff him up in the primaries. And they, yeah, he's a good guy. And then the second the general comes along, it's he's a racist. And we're going to, especially if he's running against Harris or someone like that, it's um, he's just, he's an old white guy racist who already ran. And we- yeah. But I guess my, I guess maybe not how the media would treat him, but don't you think at this point, so many people are just cutting right through the media, going to independent, not paying attention to CNN. And they'd be like, you know what? Kind of like with Youngkin, he has a very, very practical message kind of a basic guy and that's kind of what we need we don't want the old you know applesauce brains and we don't want the fucking lunatic and i would vote for trump in a fucking second if you ran but like doesn't take maybe taking the media out of it a little bit like as much as the media tried to turn yunkin into white supremacist it didn't work people saw through it and they said you know what fuck you i'm voting for yunkin i don't want everything that you guys have been shoving down our throats and this guy just seems pretty reasonable uh, I don't. I don't think they would look at right. You'd have to find someone new like Youngkin, which is what they're they're kind of doing. There's this guy running, I think, in Pennsylvania now, um, who's a businessman, and you're, you're not going to do anything with like a retread. I'm not. I'm not trying to like crush your dreams of a Romney presidency. I'm no, I don't want that. Mitt Romney to be president. But I'm. I'm more thinking. I think that you just had. It was a little nostalgic this week because right. I'm like no, ten no. years of fucking going gray. So. Yeah, no, and you said kind of that journey, and what for those of you who don't mind the podcast, no, I kind of took you, I took everyone through the steps of how we got here with our media, you know, dunking on Mitt Romney in the in the debate with Obama because Obama got his fucking cool, you know, zinger in, starting with Chris Saliza amongst others, and I said that was kind of the moment, you know, that and Candy Crowley 
were really two moments where a lot of people just said, fuck it, we're going to the dark side. We're done. We're done nominating principled nice guys. And you had then Trump, who is a guy who uses media. He, he, he hits them all the time, but he's also the guy who will have a four-hour conversation with Maggie Haberman, you know, and then he pretends to call her the lying media. So Trump's just kind of as full of shit as anybody else. But he came out and he played to the masses. And as I noted on the podcast, the line from The Dark Knight is they turned to a man they didn't fully understand. And that's exactly what happened. And there's a lot of people who did that. Um, I didn't quite go that dark. Um, I didn't go that far to the dark side because I didn't vote for Trump either time, but I see why I see how he happened. I absolutely hundred percent can stand back and go, yeah, that's, you guys probably shouldn't have, you guys probably shouldn't have been yucking it up at the debate line over, uh, Romney, not ready hashtags. And then now you put a guy in the oval office who was part of that whole thing. And I'm sorry, the, the principal professional, never Trump sitting here who voted for Joe Biden while, Letting him off the hook for the way that he treated their boy in 2012 doesn't fly with me. I'm, I, I don't care. It, I'm, I'm not convinced that you're not doing an act yourself. Um, Youngkin is interesting because, again, he is kind of that cloth of nice guy. He is that kind of, you know, yeah, geez, you know, Jiminy Jillikers kind of guy. And he wears the sweater vest and whatever. And they tried to paint him as a Nazi and, and a Trumpist and it didn't work because – he basically said, I, I'm on the parent's side of this. I'm against unions. We're taking off masks on kids. We've had enough of this nonsense. And he, he won. And he won pretty handedly on that. And so I think you look at the message um, of what it is. And there is a section of Republicans who aren't good at staying on that message. Um, so, yeah, I, I think more than more importantly, you just need good people. You need good candidates. And let's face it, there's a shortage of that on both sides right now. Joseph, hello. Joseph, be on your, be oh, on your best behavior. The co-founder of Colin is in this room right now. Oh so, dang! I was going to use the word. Yeah. Never mind. No, I, I know. Yeah, we, you, you got to just you know be on. Hi, David. David Sachs, who co-founded <laughs> Colin, is currently in here. Um, also wrote a great post about Bitcoin and crypto. So maybe I can even pull him up here. So Joseph, <laughs> make me look good. Um, I guess my, I guess my my favorite not not necessarily favorite hot take is probably one that i just saw maybe an hour ago from you mentioned it kim iverson which was ukraine shouldn't fight back no one should let it go yeah that's i don't think that that's like the nuclear one but it is it, it's it is one of those like you know you don't have to put this in writing on your public timeline right um yeah i don't i don't you know yeah just just lay down your arms and let him take Ukraine and nobody should fight. Well, what's he going to do? And, you know, he, go, he goes after Poland or now Finland. I guess Putin's threatening Finland. Eh, he can have Finland. Don't tell John Gabriel I said that. Um, but yeah, it's it, like you, you, these people aren't thinking four or five states. It's like, they're, what do you, you think you're going to give peace a chance your way out of Vladimir Putin's ambitions? I mean, um yeah, that that's from someone who is an actual like professional pundit who's sitting here. Yeah, just don't fight back. Like, do you think Russia is <laughs> not going to shoot you when they see you? Um, do you think they're going to come in and be greeted as liberators? No. Yeah, it's pretty much the war bad, no matter what, if it's justified or not. But um, I know who I I don't know who she is. I'm not that familiar with her work. All I know is that like she appears on the on the the rising quite a lot on hill tv and she is a huge populist online leftist and she was like one of the few that like sort of like 
uh, downplays the weird genocide. She's part of that like kind of coalition of dumb dumb leftists that were kind of like except for China. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't. That's someone where you know Twitter's such a platform where it doesn't lend you to people to say, "Hey, take me through your thought process on this one," because you know maybe ten years ago now it's just you know get blocked and and whatever. Um, it, it's become increasingly more a platform where it is just kind of that you know you can just throw that out there and you know you don't have to respond to anyone going, "How does that work exactly?" Um, so yeah, it's I would say it's it's definitely one of the, a fun one. I wouldn't say it's probably my favorite, but it's definitely a fun one. Uh, yeah. Joseph, Joseph yeah, so, yep, go ahead. Yeah, it's it was, was kind of hard to choose one because like there was like quite a lot of stuff from like yesterday morning and then like the night. <laughs> so it was yeah. like fuck yeah when the whole yeah, day when, I was, the, I was, when the bombs were flying is when everybody you know their stress their stress level went to threat level midnight and. Um, yeah, that's when they were firing off. Uh, that's that's usually when the best takes happen, though. Like the like, obviously, I mean by the worst takes is like right in the middle of the chaos, and and people aren't thinking, and they think they can just sneak one by because everyone's tweeting or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of and this as this gets escalating, you are probably we're probably going to see you know more and more of them. So we'll, we'll keep doing them. Thanks, Joseph. Donna, how are you? Hi, Stephen. Hello, hello. So my uh, favorite take is more of a happy coincidence than a take. Um, It was Jennifer Rubin this morning saying, looking forward to how ours will intentionally mispronounce Brown Jackson's first name. And then this afternoon, Jen Psaki went and misspelled Kintaji's uh, Brown Jackson's name, which I thought was just absolutely delicious. Yeah, blatant racism on the part of the White House press secretary. So if you didn't see it, (laughs) For those of you not on the Twitter machine, uh, Jennifer Rubin. I'm sorry, Jennifer. I stand with Ukraine. Rubin flag, flag, <laughs> check mark. Yes. Set, noted during Kentonji Brown Jackson's introduction, saying, "Looking forward to how ours will intentionally mispronounce Brown Jackson's first name," which is funny because that was something coming, I guess, from the Obama years or or, or whatever. I'm sure they'll make an issue out of saying her last name or her middle name. And then, of course. You had the smart set Jen Psaki in her quote tweet of President Biden. I'm proud to announce I'm not nominating Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to serve on the Supreme Court, currently serving on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. She's one of our nation's brightest legal minds and will be an exceptional justice. It's literally right there. All she has to do is either read it or copy it. And uh, Jen Psaki... Solus Ginger writes, there is not a lot of upsetting and challenging news in the world right now, but today is also a huge news to celebrate. We can't wait to see you on the Supreme Court Judge Kentaji Brown Jackson. <laughs> Priceless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a it's a work of art. That's that's a good one from, you know, our West. So I have a question for you. Um, well, actually a question and a comment. Um, the story that came out this morning from the New York Times about uh, the U.S. officials um, getting intelligence showing Beijing had shared information with Moscow. Uh, I'm surprised that this isn't getting more attention. Why, why, why do you think it's not getting more attention? <laughs> well, who who's in the, off, in, in the White House, I imagine. Uh, and the journals don't want to cover this. It seems very important to me. Uh, but I'm wondering when, when they say U.S. officials, who do you suppose they're speaking about? 
any like the State Department? Most or likely the State. Would it be Mo- Biden directly? No, it, I, I would hope not. That's when Biden shows him like, you know, one of those coloring menus from a restaurant for a kid that they give out at like Red Robin or something. <laughs> um, it's it's most likely it's probably the State Department. It could be uh, Sullivan. Someone along those lines. So for those of you who don't know, story she's referencing, in fairness, came from the New York Times. Right. But e- even when it's the New York Times, you, you see a severe lack of colleagues retweeting or sending this out uh, like they do when Anthony Scaramucci badmouths Trump. Uh, you have a Biden administration pre- presented China with intelligence on Russia's troop buildup and hopes Xi would step in. And Chinese officials rebuffed the U.S. and apparently turned around and shared the information with Moscow. Um, and I noted on my podcast, this is this is one of those microwave my skull moments. Yeah. Um, and I know that's funny because this is exactly when I joke about the West Wing. This is like some, you know, up and coming fucking junior grad would say, hey, why don't we get China on the side? Just show them what, China, just show them what Moscow's doing and, you know, appeal to China's better side, which, of course, they don't have a better side. Right. Um, and they're, ex- they're expecting diplomacy from despots. Yeah, another uh, another good take that we saw was Michael McFaul said, and since 1949, China has stood against imperialism and colonialism and stood for sovereignty and non-interference. Xi now faces a monumental decision, endorse Russian imperialism or stand against it. And the I, I wish the the absolute I can't I, I just amateur hour to to go to China and say, and this, and this is the thing that was interesting about the story dropping today is yesterday Biden said he wouldn't comment on had they pressured, someone asked him yesterday, had they pressured China at all on Putin and Biden kind of got that thousand yard stare. And then he said, I'm not prepared to comment on that, which mm-hmm. suggests that he knew the story was coming today. Uh, somebody was either tipped off about it or the white house knew about it. And he, Biden did not want to say in that presser yesterday Yes, we did, but that did not happen, da 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 and he contradicts what the New York Times is reporting. So most likely he had a heads up to that and knew and so that could have been that could have been a New York Times reporter who asked him that yesterday. I don't I don't remember who it was. Um this Well I, it, I cannot, it certainly didn't matter I much for the life of me I cannot for the life of me understand this administration's appeals to China when they know they should know at least who China is and what China wants and they should know that China right now is most likely taking notes on Taiwan, and mm-hmm. so I, I read I read headlines like this, and, I, and I'm 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 gobs I'm flabbered I'm just completely out of my body when I see stuff like this. Like you could just picture the administration like showing China like troop positions in Russia, and then China going, "Can we see that? Can we see that? Thanks!" And then turning around and say, "Hey, they know where you are, Vlad." I'm just kind of like I, I swear to God, especially after what we just came through with the pandemic. Um, which originated in China and China saw no repercussions for that at all. Um, it, it's yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm obviously speechless at it. In, I don't know. In ima- in ima- imagine Trump had done something like this or his state department had done something like this. What the news cycle would have looked like. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, the, that's si- an obvious comment. the silence on this one is the silence on this one is deafening. Yeah, and it's generally like, and this is this is one of these things where, like you say, it's not that like, the media won't report it because it came from the New York Times. But if you pay attention to journalists on Twitter, if you pay attention to the right ones and 
the most of the ones and say the ones that don't block me, you see that this is a story that just completely died. It died right out of the gate. It died on the vine. And that's, of course, why it's it's not it's it's bias and agenda bias is not covering sets. It's oftentimes what they choose not to cover. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of crazy to me that these writers for the times, which I think on the story, there were three, there were three bylines on this. You know, they're not kicking their colleagues and going, Hey, did you read this? Hey, did you, you know, what's, what's going on? Did you spread this? Did you, can, Hey, could you give me a retweet or something like that? Cause again, that's, you know, to answer your question, you know, why the story doesn't, cause it doesn't look good. It doesn't, it doesn't look good that this administration looks like they're completely in over their heads when it comes to dealing with uh, Putin and China. And certainly there's, uh, you had the Wall Street Journal story two and a half weeks ago saying that China was basically in principle agreement to back Putin uh, with this invasion and this attack. And China has basically said, we're going to remain neutral. And I'm sure when it comes to the UN that that's. Mm. And uh, any idea when did, cause I, I was not able to read the article because I didn't want to pay for it. Um, when this supposedly happened, was that after the Wall Street Journal uh, article? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the timing on the events, mm. but the Wall Street Journal noted about two weeks ago that Putin and Xi had kind of come to an agreement on China backing Russia uh, should Putin decide to move in on this. So it could yeah. have been before, it could have been after, but it does it shed some light on Biden's non-answer yesterday, which I noted at the time was was a problem. When he yes. said he wasn't going to comment, he wasn't going to comment if their administration was putting pressure on China to pressure Russia. And like I said, that to me notes that he he knew that it was coming, or uh, he kind of had one of those oh shit moments, and it's like they kind of know something, so I'm just not going to comment on it. So, yeah, not too bad. Uh, first up, Russian warship go fuck yeah, yourself. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I did a poll. I did a poll on Twitter yesterday. Which was better, Russian warship, go fuck yourself, or China is asshole? Um, and I didn't go and look at the results of the poll, but China is asshole was winning at the time. But yeah, go Russian warship, go fuck yourself is probably, I don't want to call it the highlight because dudes are dead. Um, it's hard to talk about it without, you know, just being like, sh- you know, whatever. But yeah, that's a... Um, in terms of the worst take, um, something that came across my god-awful Twitter feed, uh, in line with the NPR uh, stress, apparently Fox News is getting involved in that as well with an article identifying stress and anxiety amid Russia, Ukraine war, and how to cope. Um, <laughs> thoughts and so prayers. Not, thoughts, diff, thoughts and prayers at this difficult time. For- yeah. Um, just a question for you. Uh, which TV show do you think has done more damage, The Apprentice or The West Wing? Wow. That's a, that's a good question. I would like to say, well, so you probably someone would say uh, The Apprentice because Trump was president. But then you kind of look at the West Wing and you go, well, that's pretty much the only reason Obama's president, because that whole administration was was like West West winging it for, you know, eight years. It was all about, you know, great sound bites and presentation and black and white photos. And people forget, like. Obama's last State of the Union was sold like a TV show. It was sold like a television special where he's putting a tie on and he's got the fonts. And it was just like, what the hell is this? Um, I think probably, man, I mean, The Apprentice, I would probably still say The Apprentice because The Apprentice came to that whole time of reality TV, which was just like, 
you know, we're going to just take normal people and, and even Joe Rogan did Fear Factor and we're going to like stick your head in a tank of piranhas and say, see how you like that. And that kind of led to this whole kind of social media culture of trying to get people and get a, get their tweets and get them canceled, where it's kind of like a blood sport now. Um, the West Wing was like objectively good for about eight episodes. Uh, like the first season was okay, but you didn't really expect an entire fucking generation of Ivy League grads to then watch that show, binge it, and then enter politics thinking that this is how the world operates. Um, and then, of course, Sorkin tried to do the same thing with the newsroom, where he's he's trying to like, you know, this is how this is how it should be, whatever. And you get like one of the cringiest moments in the history of television with uh, the the producer telling the pilot that you know we just killed Osama bin Laden for you, sir. <laughs> it's just like, oh my fucking god. Um, but I don't know. I'd love to hear thoughts with that from other people as well. There's been a lot of television shows that have done a ton of damage to the country. I'd probably still lean with The Apprentice just because of the overall value of what. No, cheers, right? Yeah, I, a year ago I would have said The Apprentice, but this year with everything that's going on and the just boobish incompetence of this administration, um, I'm very much coming into the West Wing, uh, destroyed the, the country and the world point of view. Yeah, like a, like Trump's cabinet was the apprentice. Like it was just a viper's nest where they were, everyone's just trying to backstab each other. And people forget like Omarosa, like throwing her shoes at people and shit like that. But as far as like when it comes to like actual governance, they actually believe they can govern, you know, they can govern the country with shit that they saw on this TV show. And that's when Jen Psaki admitted that the West Wing is a brought her back into politics. And one of the best memes going around right now is uh, what, what what's the West Wing episode for dealing with XYZ? It's literally, it's probably one of my favorite memes just floating around, but whenever she opens her mouth or something happens, like, what, what's the West Wing episode that deals with giving intelligence to, to China, to, so China just... Yeah, and I guess, you know, final point, the irony being that, you know, all these, all these hacks want to emulate the West Wing, and meanwhile, Zelensky in, in Ukraine is kind of being the ideal leader and kind of the Sorkin-esque um, id... Um, leading his country at the moment. I just think that irony is delicious, if not entirely tragic. Yeah, someone noted Zelensky's on the ground in uh, Kiev and Joe Biden was flown off to Delaware again for the weekend. So, yeah, um, that's a good that's a good one, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Eric, how are you? I'm trying to blow through some of these. We'll, we'll, we'll keep going for like another 30 or whatever. Sure. Uh, hi. Um, what do you think like the media and like sort of the institutional left like sort of their strategy will be for environmentalism, just just from looking at how the Biden administration isn't willing to turn off or urge their allies to turn off the spigot from Russia, but they're not really willing to um, uh, they're not really willing to uh, you know turn on the spigot here at home, and also like not really getting behind nuclear power, which is sort of like the quasi shortcut to our energy problems. I was just wondering, what do you think they're sort of, who they're going to be willing to sacrifice given that, you know, Republicans took the presidency for almost two or three decades, just based off of the Cold War alone. Um, so I just was wondering how they're going to try to balance that. Do you I don't think that they will. I think when you look at their... It, the, environmentalism green new deal that's that's you know that's their second amendment that's their gun control and they're not going to waver on that stuff i think 
I think what you're seeing now is administration thinks that they can get out of this without having that energy debate. And we saw this today, uh, we, you know, with Jen Psaki when they said, you know, why, you know, yeah, right. Here's, here's the exact quote reporter. Why are you guys waiting to apply maximum sanctions on all Russia transactions, oil and gas? Do you think Americans are not willing to take the hit of the gas pump? And uh, she says, basically, Biden wants to maximize impact on Russia, but minimize impact on Americans. And that's kind of like, um, that's the whole problem. Crippling, crippling Russia would harm Americans. That, yes, that's kind of the fucking issue. That's the entire issue with this right now is that's, you know, Putin's entire economy. And he knows it. He has, you know, he can just cut off, he can cut off Europe and he can cut off the Western world from oil and choke us all at the gas pump. And you have Biden looking at this going, well, the polls, you know, we're, we're foreign policy dictated by polls and stuff like that. Um, I, I just, I don't... I, I don't see how they have their come to Jesus moment on this. Like you said, with nuclear and, and reassessing that and, and building more nuclear. Well, no, we can't do that. Um, I think that they think they can just get out of this um, with, with minor damage to our wallets. And, you know, Saki said, we have to pay for our values. So now it's patriotic to pay $5 for gas. And one of the arguments you see on there is, well, it's your fault for driving a, a truck. It's your fault for driving a Hummer. And so it's one of these unintended consequences where they're going to say, and I, I guarantee you, Jen Psaki will have this, will have this line coming in the next week or whatever as this escalates. She's going to say, this is why we, this is why it's important to, to transfer off of fossil fuels. And so we, we're not beholden to dictators and stuff. That line is going to come a hundred percent. That line's going to come. Um, so, but as far as like sacrificing them, I just, I don't see that happening. They've made, they've made too much of, uh, Mark Bay's Green New Dealism. They've made, you know, they've turned the scoldy Swedish teen into too big of a celebrity. So no, I don't see, you know, suddenly leftist media, environmental media, Washington Post media, stuff like that. I don't see them suddenly just going, hey, you know, we should probably do more domestic energy production. That would be a good idea. Because that would be, again, a gotcha for Republicans. They would say, yeah, see, we've been saying that the whole time. And so I just, I don't see them well, thanks for answering that question, because that's like one of the things I was listening to the um, commentary podcast about with Podhorse, and they're just like trying to figure out like, okay, how is the administration and the media going to spin this? But I, I uh, appreciate your thoughts. Cheers. Yeah, I just, they're going to spin it like they, they, they usually spin it. See, we need more electrical, we need more green energy. And so uh, that makes people like Putin, you know, more helpless. Uh, and what, and like you said, you, you noted it right in your comment, which is the two things that would get us out of this mess would be domestic oil production, energy production, nuclear here at home, and becoming a net exporter of energy, which I think we either were or really close were during the Trump years. Um, and that's not necessarily thanks to him. It's just thanks to the policies that he signed off on or he got rid of the red tape and domestic oil drilling on federal lands and things like that. You become an exporter. You become the option for Europe. And that's it. I mean, that's what you would do. You say, we'll, we'll take over exporting energy for you so you don't have to rely on this guy. And right now you have an administration that doesn't want to do it because they're more concerned about the polar bear. It's that simple. Did we lose him? Is he peeing? Okay. Uh, cynical, just jump back in line if, whenever. I'm pretty good. I don't have a question. I just have takes to contribute. So I got a couple here. Bring them all. Bring have, all of the takes. We have Stephen King. Mr. Putin has made a serious miscalculation. 
he forgot he's no longer dealing with Trump, which was just beautiful. Um, CBS News, the U.S. economy has been hit with increased gas prices, inflation, and supply chain issues due to the Ukraine crisis. We have uh, Rachel Maddow. Why didn't Russia invade Ukraine during Trump's term? Perhaps because Putin was so pleased to see Trump pursuing goals in line with Moscow's agenda. And my personal favorite, Jennifer Rubin. So this tweet came from Richard Engel. Vatican Press Office confirms to NBC News that Pope Francis went to the Russian embassy in Rome on Friday to personally express his concern about the war in Ukraine in an extraordinary papal gesture that has no recent precedent. She comments, as empty gestures go, impressive, and in terms of empty gestures, she has in her bio, I stand with Ukraine, with Ukraine flags. So that one's my personal favorite, just because she has like no sense of anything, and she just tweets that without any thought in her head. I mean, yeah, that's that's a banner day. Uh, the one with Meta, the one you see going around, and I commented on this yesterday, is uh, we, we, Putin never invaded Ukraine because Trump was already doing his bidding. Um, the, other, the other one is, you know, people are arguing that Putin would never invade Ukraine if Trump was still president or wrong. And, and, and I kind of, and I just point to it and go, we had four years where he didn't do it. Now, I'm not going to speculate on why he didn't do it or anything like that. I mean, you have pro-Trump people who are like, he was tough on him. You have anti-Trump people like, he was just doing his bidding. But I do know that it didn't fucking happen. Okay. So I, I know for a fact, like, that didn't, it didn't happen. So you can put everything else aside. And a lot of stuff that Trump has said about Putin is gross to me. Um, I don't think it's because there's a P-tape. I don't think about anything. I think it's because Trump has business interests in Russia. And he always has. And he doesn't want to fuck those up. And that's wrong. And that's bad. And people like that shouldn't be president. But... That is what it is. Um, but the one the one that you see going around, you saw Joe Walsh had it, a few others saying, well, of, co- of course, Putin would have invaded when Trump was president. Are you, you know, and you just I just scratch my head and go, do, do you not see that we have eyes and ears that we have a sense of, you know, history didn't start on January 20th of, of this, you know, 2021? Like what? What is that? Um, the, the two reasons they do that is one, they have to keep all the attention off of Joe Biden. Joe Biden had a rough few days where he was getting thumped over the head by Mitt Romney's old takes and things like that. And I'm one of those people who reminded him of this. Um, And that is to take the onus off of a guy that they all know that they voted for, um, who is in charge of this right now, this mess happening. And you can draw a straighter line from Joe Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal to why Putin is doing this than you can anything in Trump's presidency. Yeah, the only thing I'll contribute is that people like Joe Walsh becoming Democrats is the best thing to happen to the Republican Party in years. Someone, because, someone said that. Someone noted, "How did we? How did? How was? How was it so smart that the consultant and the kind of grifter class all jumped over to that team all at the same time? Like, how? Who engineered that and how? Because that person." Yeah, they do, because Joe Walsh is disgusting, Rick Wilson is disgusting, John Weaver is obviously disgusting, and then you got Stuart Stevens and some of these other freaks, and it's like, you know, I'm kind of glad that you're not managing Republican campaigns anymore, because, you know, we can just hide people who ran campaign and we'll be better off. 
or at least in charge of the messaging, because I noticed you notice a lot of the messaging coming out of what you see either on Twitter or whatever, which is you either stand with Putin or you stand with us. That was Bush era rhetoric. And you now see, you know, Democrats echoing that stuff. And that's because you do have the Stuart Stevens and the, and the Bill Crystals and uh, the Jennifer Rubens. And those people are, you know, kind of in charge of that messaging right now. They just switched teams. And for those of you who remember Bush era, you know, loyalism coming from, you know, that whole crew, it's eerily similar now, and it's coming directly from, you know, Democratic Party. And so if you're old enough to remember that stuff, you kind of just have to sit back in awe. It reminds me of this end, the end of democracy. We're on the brink of the end of democracy because of what happened on January 6th and, you know, democracy in peril coming from Jim. And this is the shit that they were selling the Tea Party in 2011. It's the exact same thing. This country's going to hell where Obamacare is going to pass and it's going to be the end of America. And they're selling the exact same, you know, paranoid bullshit. They're just doing it to an audience uh, who they can, you know, get dollars from now at this point. It really is uh, an, an unexamined look at kind of the professional class that did that. So I'm talking obviously about people you mentioned, like the consultant class, the Steve Schmidt class. Um, and now, you know, Glenn Greenwald makes this point all the time that like MSNBC has just become a haven for, you know, Bush era personalities. Nicole Wallace is there obviously. And um, it, it's, it, it's not something I have strong feelings on either way. Um, it's, but it is something you notice paying attention to this stuff. And if you weren't, if you weren't around for, you know, 2000, circa 2003 Bush era rhetoric, it is exactly like what you see happening now. And it's you see it happening with Russia, which is you must be loyal to Joe Biden. You cannot criticize him. It's unpatriotic. You're a traitor. You should kick out of the country. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's the exact same rhetoric that was happening from the right uh, in 2003 uh, with Bush. So it, it is just one of these things, like somebody said, how do we manage to get all of these guys who have just done nothing but drive the bus into the ditch uh, to, to go play for the other team all at the same time. And it's, it, it is, it's, it's something that is an understudied observation. There we go. There we go. Uh, sorry. Can yeah, you hear me? Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. This is my first time using it. Uh, long time listener, first time caller uh, calling from uh, Japan. So it's still morning here and uh, just kind of catching up on everything oh, wow. that's so going we're on. Like your N- we're so like it's... your NPR right now. Yeah, I know. I'm uh, I'm uh you know, using uh, this as a therapeutic. Um, but uh, so every time I, I scroll through Twitter, I find more and more takes to go through. Uh, one I found was uh, uh, Stephen King standing for nuclear war. Uh, but this one I, I, I just found by uh, Sarah, Sarah Rao, because uh, she's always good for a hot take. Uh, Putin and America are both monsters. Multiple evils can and do exist. Uh, but uh, I found another tweet uh, kind of relating back to your, uh, your opening. Apparently, it's an email from UC Berkeley to their students. Oh, about, yes. Uh, yes. I read this, on the, po- the, I read this uh, the, on the podcast today, so go ahead. Oh, okay, okay. I hadn't had to No, go ahead. Podcast, no, read, read but, it for uh, the class. Okay, okay. So <clears throat> campus leadership recognizes that it's hard to adjust to the reality of masks no longer being required, even if they're still recommended in some settings. That's why our campus will be one of the last places in the Bay Area to still require masks prior to when our mandate is lifted on March 7th. March 7th. These changes are indeed difficult, and I encourage anyone who would feel more comfortable wearing a mask to continue to do so. 
But I also encourage you to do uh, I also encourage you to grapple with the fact that the consensus within the public health community is that uh, it's no longer necessary to mandate masking. Throughout the pandemic, we've had to make several adjustments, and many are just as hard. And each instance is the wisdom of, of our public health committee in evaluating and implementing the prevailing health guidance, which has served us well. And I continue to believe that this transition is the appropriate and necessary next step for our campus. Uh, so I thought it was just a, it perfectly kind of uh, showed what you were talking about in the opening of uh, kind of like uh, self-triage of the uh, mask set. Yeah, we haven't even hit the peak on how this is going to get with this stuff, especially when, you know, Biden comes out and tries to move on from it all. And I, I've said this, it's just, it's just become, and I don't understand it because I don't think this way. I don't think like that. I mean, that's a letter to fucking college students. Like, to, I mean, that's Berkeley. That's a college. And they're writing like these are helpless little children who are, you're trying. It's like parents taking away their kids whoopee. Mm-hmm because they think they're too old for it, you know, and just hiding it, or it's just, it's crazy to me. And I used to think five, six, seven years ago that, you know what, they get into the real world and that attitude goes nowhere. And then we find out, um, actually, no, these people are going to graduate. They're going to get into the class and they're going to be the ones kind of in control of the culture class. Um, and as I've said, this, the pandemic is going to have to be ripped away from some of these people. And they're, it's kind of they're going to just basically hold on to it and demand that we all drive at their speed limit. And I, I just, yeah, the, I, I read that I read that note on the podcast today, and it's just to get through it is um, it's something that makes you want to. That's uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, rather unbelievable and, and uh, quite funny. What do you what do you? But, uh, thank you very yeah, much. What do you do in uh, Japan? Oh, what do you do in Japan, Jared? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm an English teacher. Uh, I teach English out of my house. Oh, great. Uh, have a little small English school. Do you require masks for your students? Uh, it, it's optional. I uh, Like, I've been toying with the idea of whether or not to, because I wear, like, this little face shield. Yeah. Uh, and I've been toying with the idea of whether or not I should even uh, continue doing that. But uh, Japan is much more uh, kind of a more mask culture. But uh, you see a lot of people walking around outside without masks. But if I, like, I when I'm outside, I never wear a mask. But uh, nobody ever says anything. Sometimes I'll get a little dirty look, but um, what is what, just... what is what is the pandemic mass culture like over there? Just just for pandemic, I know mm-hmm. I know obviously there's a stigma with you know masks and uh, that part of the world, but what what is the culture like? Is it are there mandates? Is it do you, do you get dirty looks? Is it a lot of people wearing masks? Is it not? What 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 would you say it is like? Yeah, it's pretty much like I'd say like ninety nine percent of people wear masks. Um, there's a few, you'll see a few people not wearing them, um, but uh, Japanese people like wearing face masks anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's very normal to wear them. Right. It's very normal to wear them if you have a cold or right. something. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I've never, like, uh, I don't think there's any, like, actual mandates. It's just, like, general guidance. It's better to. Uh, my kids have to, so the, the only time where it got a little bit ridiculous is uh, in Japan, elementary schools have these uh, they're called sports days where all the classes will go out and outside and they'll do like these little dances and um, what is it like little games that the parents can watch so I was going to my kids uh, sports day and it's outside and they do it class by class so there's maybe maybe a hundred parents at the most and they asked everyone to wear a mask and I was like no this is ridiculous I'm not wearing a mask outside uh, in the daytime like 
and uh, but nobody said anything. The uh, and I think everyone just kind of understands that uh, it's just security theater. But Japanese people are much more uh, what's the word obedient? Like they're much more happy to just go nice. along to get along. But uh, yeah, I've never been yelled at or like I'll have an older lady like if I'm walking down the street, she'll like go far to the side to you know stay away from me. But that's kind of the most of it. I get that without it having, you know, I get that anyway, with or without a mask. So I, get, I know how that feels. <laughs> Jared, thank you. It was good talking to you. It was good uh, hearing a little bit of your story over there. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, so we'll wrap up here. We'll go Colby, Daniel, Ivan, and Matt. And then we're going we're gonna to let everyone get back to their Friday. Thanks, Stephen. Am I audible? You are. You're very audible and very baritone. You have a, you have a very soothing uh Thank you. Um, so uh, I saw like a re- resist lib type say on Twitter that the reason why Joe, uh, the reason why Putin is attacking Ukraine right now is to make Joe Biden look bad with the eventual goal that maybe Trump will get back into office in 2024. And then they'll then have this guy back in the White House. And that's when he can really, you know, make some big moves. Yeah, somebody, uh, somebody, uh, I don't know if it was MSNBC or someone suggested that kind of slyly that Trump is dictating this all kind of from Mar-a-Lago. So he's encouraged Putin to do this. And because of Trump's comments that, you know, it was a genius thing to do and look what he's doing and and whatever. um, And that Trump is engineering this all with Putin to make Biden look bad so Trump can then go waltz back into the Oval Office in 2024, which we're also told is an election he will only win. Yeah, there's uh, there's been a lot of really um, really spicy takes all over the place along those lines. It's been quite astonishing to watch the, the stuff that the blue checks have been coming up with. Yeah, and you also have to realize it's all in service of ignoring joe biden's 40-year history of foreign policy in washington dc it's he's he's just a remarkably um known for just being bad at this like it's one of the worst things he's known for um and and everyone knows the famous robert gates quote which is this guy's been on the wrong side of every foreign policy decision in 30 years and that's while they were in office that's you know gates saying that and um, it's all in service of making people forget that. So, I mean, there, there is no other explanation for it. It's just, as I said, you're, you're seeing a worldview kind of crumble around a lot of these people. And it's, it's, happen- it's happening with teachers unions. It's happening with parents. Uh, we got the wonderful take that, you know, parents are almost no different to Vladimir Putin with, when it, in regards to their child's education. Um, and you're seeing this Joe Biden was sold to us as the wise old sage. And those are some of us who are like this, this guy, if you ask him one hard question, his eyeball pops out of his head. What are you talking about? Who just didn't never kind of bought it. And you're you're seeing the realization of that Joe Biden is historically unpopular. And you wouldn't know that paying attention to outlets like the Washington Post who do nothing but kind of talk about Donald Trump or the New York Times who do nothing but talk about Donald Trump. And, you know, in fairness, if Trump decides to run again, then, yeah, it's fair game and they're all going to keep talking about Trump. Um, But it's all kind of done in service to kind of try and bandaid over everything that majority of the country is is saying. It's something like 74 percent of Americans don't want any, you know, interventionism on the behalf of the United States beyond probably what we're doing. 
And so to, to sit there and go, you're disloyal to Joe Biden over this shit. It's like, you're calling 74% of the country disloyal, like roll with that. Go with. Yeah. The, uh, the combination of Afghanistan and uh, now Ukraine has certainly shattered any uh, remaining illusions about um, Joe Biden's ability to um, lead the country. He lost two countries in seven months. We have two. We're going to have two refugee crises in seven months over this thing. And it, it's astounding. It's astounding. I've never I, I guess how I look at this. I know some people say since the Cold War in the 80s, you're seeing this stuff. I've, I've never seen like this, this so much happen like this so fast. And I don't think that I'm alone in this where, you know, he, he loses Afghanistan and he did. He lost Afghanistan in in 11, 15 days, whatever it was. And you have a guy who was elected on two things, uh, competence and, and empathy. And Afghanistan showed he didn't have either of those things. You know, he's, he's he won't take questions on, you know, a suicide attack on U.S. service members. And he won't take questions on people falling off the wheel wells of airplanes. He just turns his back and shuffles away. And that is the those are the optics that are going to stick with people pretty much I think throughout his presidency. It should just be his presidency. Yeah, no, uh, certainly just him walking away from uh, walking away from the microphone from the podium. That's uh, that's just going to be a lasting image of his presidency. I think it's uh, it's surpassing uh, the Carter administration very quickly in terms of the, the catastrophes that he's racking up very quickly. Yeah, I think it was Michael Brennan Doherty who said, you know, how how do you go into this State of the Union? Like, <laughs> what, you should just go in and just go, I don't know. You know, and, and just like kind of like, like how, how do you go into the State of the Union with, with anything, with any victories? I guess your infrastructure package. Uh, I mean, his domestic agenda is dead uh, until he scales it way back. Um, and I like what Charles Cook said. He goes, how did Joe Biden, who, you know, won – you know, not he, he, he won by a slim majority of states and votes. When you look at the states, when you look at Georgia, Arizona, the states that he won, he still won by 10, you know, a few thousand votes. It wasn't like a complete blowout that way. But he has a 50, you know, a 5150 Senate with Kamala Harris. And he's act, he's walking around acting like he's fucking FDR. Like this is not a guy with a majority. And then, of course, the world events turn around and slap him in the face. And like I said, you can draw a direct line, I think, to how that Afghanistan withdrawal went and Putin watching that and taking notes. And now you're going to have China watching how this goes and taking notes in regards to Taiwan. Um, thanks, Colby, for that. So, yeah, we'll go. Daniel, Ivan. And... Sounded like you there. Yep. Hey, Hello. got you. How hey. are you? Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, sorry. I was clicking on the little red uh, microphone icon, uh, not the one in the bottom right-hand corner of I the, do it. Uh, I of do the it screen. All, sorry I do about it all that. <laughs> thanks, man. Um, first, I just want to say thanks for this. Uh, the call-in's pretty great. It gives us uh, us normies uh, a voice, and thanks for just kind of the added time that you devote to things like this. I think it's uh, it's really cool. It kind of connects kind of people like you who are sort of uh, media adjacent, I guess, um, to us regular folks, so that's pretty cool stuff. Um, uh, Donna kind of talked about this. I just wanted to kind of try and hit it from a different angle, but the I'm very baffled at, I guess, the administration in handling these foreign affairs and just being gobsmacked every single time that the bad guys are bad guys. 
even going back to last year, I guess it was March when the Biden administration had their first official uh, meetup with China in Alaska, I guess that was. And, um, you know, they got talked under the table because they bought into the kind of propaganda talking points of the Chinese foreign minister when he was telling Blinken, yeah, well, you can't criticize us over the Uyghurs because of the racial discrimination in the United States. And Blinken was like, oh, you know, well, fair point. Uh, you know, and, and it just it baffles my mind that he would even even for a second think about conceding to you know the Chinese Communist Party in China over that. Just uh, it baffles me with that. And then you have the talks with the Taliban, and after Afghanistan fell, Lloyd Austin was just confounded that. The Taliban didn't, in fact, you know, embrace a policy of inclusivity yeah. with whatever they're setting up there and everything. That was you know, another big if, one with as Lincoln if, as well. Lincoln was one of the lead ones on. They promised to, to lead on. With- yeah. And it's, and it's well, especially especially Lloyd Austin. You know, I can understand Anthony Blinken because he's just he's just an, an administrative rube. He's a D.C. policy guy. But, you know, Lloyd Austin is a 40 year uh, military vet. He should at least have some sort of sense of how bad the world is just through experience. You know, hopefully, obviously that goes back to the Cold War and maybe to the end of the Vietnam War. He should have some grasp of of how bad the bad guys can be. And then the most recent example, like you just said, because I was listening to um, I was listening to the Versus Media episode that you were talking about, and I hadn't. I'm not really as online as I used to be, so I hadn't heard about. The incident where we basically, in trying to coordinate some sort of efforts uh, to de-escalate Russia, we fed the classified intel to China, and then they turned around and gave that to Russia themselves. And it's it's like, how did they not see that coming? And so, I guess just leading up, finally getting to my point, why do they keep why do they keep falling into this trap? Are is it a consequence of? Just as the media members uh, themselves are in a bubble, you have members of the administrative state and the White House are kind of insulated themselves so that they have no grasp about what the real world is. Or do they just have this painfully idealistic view, you know, this this painfully idealistic kumbaya campfire view that if they just had the right conversations at the right times, then finally, you know, they'll – you know, put put the put the flower in the barrel of the gun, and things will just be fine, and we'll all be you know happy campers at the end of the day. I just I, I don't really understand it, and and I've never seen a lot of people kind of elaborate over it. I just I was kind of wanted to pick what, your brain. What 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 do you think it is? If you if you, like first thing out of your gut, you, like, you seem like a pretty you know educated smart guy. What what would be your gut to say like why why do they keep getting rolled by these? I don't think it's I don't think it's simply I don't think it's simply stupidity because nothing is just simply stupidity. I don't know if it's willful like willful willful ignorance. So if I was to boil it down, I think that I think that they're just uh, I think I think it's a bubble thing. I think they just they talk to themselves much like the uh, much like the problem with the cruise the cruise ship conservative types. I think they just they they talk to themselves, they don't talk to anybody else. And they talk to like-minded people, you know, at international conference and summits and all that other sort of backdoor evil empire shit. And I I think they just truly believe that that if they follow those 
those elite ideals and everything and these and these blueprints and these you know Harvard Ivy League Ivy League poli sci kids ideas and everything that things will just fall that way. That's that's kind of my impression. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question, and the reason I I don't really know is because I don't think like them. I, I don't. I think part of it is you know we just have to have the right conversation. We just, we have these guys think they're the smartest guys in the room in any room that they walk into. That's part of it. And that part of it is because they are, you know, I guess, fairly educated guys, but they've also just been told their whole life and career how smart they are. And they've been told by the same people who think like them about how smart they are. And anyone who tells them, eh, this isn't that smart of a thing, man. Uh, they are, you know, idealistically misguided or they're stupid or they're a rube. You, you look at kind of talk from people who use the term expertise and I love the term expertise. I love the term, uh, I'm an elite, I'm an expert, because it gives you the freedom to criticize anyone else because you're smarter than everyone else, while nobody can criticize you because you're, they're not as smart as you. And so I think that that's part of it. It's part of, you know, we have the big, the best brains, the biggest brains, we're just going to go into a room and we're going to figure it out. And what these guys don't usually understand is, is countries like China and Russia don't give a fuck about how big your brain is. Um, and again, I, I don't have the fullest understanding of it because I don't think like them. I'm, I'm pretty much a blunt object, but I think that that has a lot to do with it. I think it's hubris and I think it's, you know, being told your whole life, you know, you, how smart you are. I, mean, I have people buying my books and I'm on television and I'm on it. So my ideas must be catchy somewhere and they're, and they're smart that way. And then, of course, you have people who believe somebody like Anthony Blinken. I mean, the funniest thing, you need to go back and read John McCain's comments on Anthony Blinken. Um, for, for everyone kind of thumping, demanding loyalty test to this administration, uh, go back and read John McCain on Anthony Blinken. It's some pretty good stuff. Um, I think it's basically said, I don't know if I'm quoting, but he's like, you're, you're just completely dangerously full of shit. <laughs> it's just some really good yeah. quotes. Um, I don't know. The problem the United States has right now is it has nothing to offer China or Russia that we can leverage with. And like, that's what, that's what I said. We don't have... You know, you have Biden who is shutting down domestic energy production. So we have nothing that we can offer anybody that, that Russia and China can't do it. And that's the biggest problem. And that's you're kind of seeing that faded superpower thing. And I, I don't know how this ends. And I don't you know, I know the worst case scenario of how it ends. Um, but again, going back to what I said prior, we're seven months into this. So you got three fucking years of this to go. And I think that that's kind of. Um, one of the things that I've talked to people, that's the most frightening. It's like, this is, this is like normally slate second term shit <laughs> that you're seeing. And we're, we're about one year in. Hey, Steven, are you there? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. Go ahead. Good. Well, first, thanks for everything you, um, and I would, I have a lot of pessimistic takes, but I thought I would, since we're towards the end of this with an optimistic one, I, uh, and this is a parent take. Um, I, I've been able to, over the past few days to see my two children absorb the news of, of this invasion. And I feel as though this is the first time in their generation as Gen Z and perhaps even millennials where there's, you know, like a, a traditional war happening, you know, not just ISIS or Syria or, um, terrorist attacks and just drone bombings, anything of that nature. And I feel like it, 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 in some way it's a positive thing because I think there, 
in terms of nationalism and just feeling as though there's two clear sides. That is the first time it's happened for them in a very long time. And it just makes me hopeful that um, despite how shitty this is all going to end up, um, that there's some hope in terms of just feeling as though being an American and, you know, right versus wrong is it's clearer because this seems like right versus wrong is more clear than it has been in a long time. Um, despite the media and, and, and everything else that, that clutters it. So I don't know. I, I, what, what's your take in terms of just, you know, that just this whole conflict in terms of sort of the war on terror and, and the other things you feel like it, that, that clearer delineation might be beneficial despite Biden and, and, and who's in charge right now, just in terms of, of getting back to a place where we feel good to be an American and feel good to be a, a democracy and, and, and one who fights for freedom. Uh, I mean, it is, if you pass it on to your kids, I thought, it, I thought what was interesting, um, Katanji Jackson's comments today were, were somewhat surprising. Um, she she talked about you know her growing up with her family and, and um she, she grew up uh, I'm trying to find the exact quote so if I'm a little distracted but she talked about her love of America and she talked about you know her her faith in God and I'm not a religious person but um she she talked about kind of these traditional principles um of how she came of age and I thought that that was uh refreshing to come from that side of the aisle from someone for a change. Um, I don't know. The, the one thing I noted on my podcast, the one word I didn't hear once during Joe Biden or Kadaji Jackson's presser was constitution. <laughs> like, huh. Um, but I, I thought her personal story was refreshing in the ways that she took pride in that. Like, you know, she, she called America the greatest beacon of freedom the world has ever seen or something like that. So, you know, the people at the 1619 project were probably, sh- you know, uh, doing that whole thing. Um, it's interesting that you talk about that this goes along the lines of, you know, circle of life Simba. I think Joe bringing up, you know, the first, our first war on social media, our first actual, you know, country to country conflict on social media playing out. And you're right. This is a generation of kids who have their faces glued to TikTok and, you know, Snapchat and Instagram. And it's going to be interesting to see how they process all of that and where they're getting their information and, you know what, what's going on with that? I, I don't. I don't know what goes on on the TikTok. That one happened. That one came in a little bit after me. And also, it's a Chinese psyop and spyware app, so you shouldn't use it. Um, but I think it just all depends on how you and how parents navigate that for them. And and uh, you do have hindsight. We you know we saw someone mentioned you know Kosovo and Serbia, and that's kind of the last time we saw something like this. Um, and even like the footage reminds me of all of that. Like when I was, uh, when I was a kid, I was younger, like pre, you know, teenager, whatever. And you had, you know, Kosovo happening and Bosnia happening. And it's the same kind of just arcane architecture and the buildings that you're seeing and everything just looks fucking cold and dirty. And um, so you do kind of have the hindsight of that. So it just, it kind of depends on how you navigate that as a parent. And that's certainly not something I'm, I'm going to. Yeah, I definitely. Um, right. I, I, I think it's going to be, a really good teaching moment for a lot of kids, a lot of American kids and their parents, hopefully just to, just to acknowledge how great of a, a country we live in and um, how we need to, pres- you know, preserve that in, in whatever way we can. So thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. Cheers, Ivan. I've, I've always said this about, I, I think I even 
tweet about this on uh, when it came to Russia is, you know, they, they like threw some insult at Biden and I told Russia to go fuck themselves. Go fuck yourself, Russian warship. He's just he's kind of a drooling invalid, but he is our invalid. OK, we only we get to do that. Like they don't get to do that. Uh, we're, we're the ones that get to push grandpa around in this chair. They don't get to do that. Um, thanks, Ivan. Matt, you're the last one. Jeffrey, sorry. I would say just try to tune in maybe Monday when I do this again. Um, so we're just going to wrap things up. Uh, so just uh, make sure you come back, Jeffrey. Matt, how are you? And just, I'm going to send this. I'm going to start um, before Matt speaks. We have a, we have another golden one. Uh, for those of you who follow hockey, Alexander Ovechkin is trying to get canceled because he's buddies with Putin. He's played along Putin. He's he's done all of the stuff with Putin. Alexander Ovechkin was grilled pretty hard about this stuff, and he just said, "Kind of, please, no more war. We don't, I, I just I'm tired. Of, like, just let's know. Let's not do this. Whatever." Um, Alexander Ovechkin's a dude who probably could call Putin directly and just be like, "Dude," um, but we have one, Henry Olson. I wonder what would happen if the West told all Russian athletes their president's illegal and a moral war means they're not welcome anymore. No Russian NHL football or tennis players so long as the war and claims on Ukrainian territory exist. Yes, the Washington Capitals are going to give up Alexander Ovechkin. Smart take, Henry. Matt. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. You're loud and clear. Well, well, shit, Stephen, you just took away Matt's hockey corner. That was about to be my call here. No, keep, keep it going. Uh, keep it way, going. I just saw this one. By the way, uh, really quickly, I, I saw this. I'm pretty sure in the, in in today, uh, Alex Ovechkin has announced his support for you know hashtag No More War. So I don't really you know as a Dallas Stars fan who has several Russians on the team, you know as <laughs> I, who cares? <laughs> like they're over here. Um, anyway, I mean, technically, uh, his, I, I really also like... his point is um, Austin Matthews is a traitor to America for being on the Toronto Maple <laughs> Leafs. So the, his point is not without. Well, the mustache on Austin on Austin Matthews is a hate crime alone. Uh, but anyway, so I, I really didn't want to go last because I feel like you and the listeners are about to be as disappointed as. Louis C.K. was when he realized the FaceTime app didn't work in Kiev. Um, but I'll go ahead with, with my original point. Um, you've seen quite a bit of, you know, progressive media. And I live in Texas, and we've had some progressive Texans here talk about how, you know, the current Russian situation and the, and the, the sanctions wouldn't be as bad on the United States. And, and you talked about this earlier, the energy independence thing, but... But progressives are trying to make the the claim that this would be better if we were more reliable on uh, renewable energy. And, you know, I I don't want to sound like Alanis Morissette, but isn't it ironic that renewable energy policies got us here in the first place? Because you've seen a lot of Europe, as you've pointed out with, with Greta, but I mean, I get she's the fall girl here, but they've had green energy policies that have pushed out fossil fuels. And then when shit hit the fan, they started buying Russian natural gas and they started buying Chinese coal. And now you see countries like Russia, like you pointed out in your podcast, I mean, countries like Germany, I apologize, uh, on your podcast that, you know, can't really come out as hard against Russia as they'd like because 
they're they're dependent on Russian energy. And I think there's also maybe a a sliver of irony here that that France might be, because of their nuclear prowess and their nuclear energy reserves, might be one of the the biggest allies for uh, Ukraine and, and Europe for the United States in terms of cracking down on countries that maybe take energy from uh, regimes such as Russia or China. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to trust France at all. I've been burned by French right-wingers for a long time. And that's not like polit- like politics. Like, you know, it's hockey-related. There's been a lot of French right-wingers for the stars that haven't really turned out. But my my biggest question to you is kind of along the lines of the the current crisis do you think there's a point in which the mainstream media sees the cards laid down on the table and makes the decision it's kind of now or never where they decide hey we're going to bury biden we're going to try to find someone else from the left that we can create as a darling and we have to start now because i think it's interesting you've seen quite a bit of pushback from mainstream journalists on Biden's policies towards Ukraine, you know, specifically how the sanctions don't actually do anything. You had talked about that. I just want to know your opinion. Do you think there's a point in which they pull the cord and say, you know, blow out the cartridge, let's find the new candidate, plug it back in. And then my final question is, will you take John Klingberg and a first round for Nathan McKinnon, and I'll hang out the list. Um, so my answer, I get asked, I get asked a lot. Is there a point when the media, and I, my answer to that is always no, because no, they're they're never going to toss a dem overboard ever, because the because the answer, the other answer is that it's it's going to go to a Republican, um, and they they can't have that. So that's always kind of my answer. With do you think there's a point when the media no. <laughs> No, uh, that's just not who they are. That's not, yeah, that's, and I'm not making fun of you, don't get me wrong, but that's, I get asked that a lot. Like, you know, either it's on my podcast or whatever. It's like, do you think there's a point when the media, you know, gets together in a room and tosses the old man overboard? No, that's not going to happen because they, if they do that, they know that it's kind of the, the collective melting of, of the, again, their entire worldview. And that's how you get either a Trump second term or a President DeSantis. So no, there's the, whenever whenever anyone has a question, do you think the do you think there's a point when the media gets tired? Of, no, like no, they, they have too much invested in it. Um, the answer to your hockey, no, you're not. Nobody's getting Nathan McKinnon, so he's already he's on contract. He's under contract. He's gonna be he's gonna be the next big signing. Um, I, I'm I'm really I'm really stuck on Claude Giroux. So I, I'm watching this because he's that's the big one. Like he wants to come to Colorado and they want to do the super team thing again. And you know what? I I I sat. I got to see two Stanley Cups with with my Avalanche, and then it led to like 12 years of the worst fucking hockey I've ever seen from that team. Like they were just not good, and it's because they gave up all of their assets and they gave up all of their draft picks to where they they had to get to the point where they had to draft Landeskog and McKinnon. And I, I just don't want to experience that again. So if Philly wants if Philly wants TJ Comfer and a first rounder, then that's that's the deal you make for Claude Giroux. Um, but no, no, you're not getting McKinnon. I'm sorry, Dallas. You're, you're going to waddle away in another year of 
middling playoff if, if you guys even make it. And while I got you, you actually never did win the Stanley Cup. Brett Hull's skate was in the crease. Ha. Wait, hey, uh, does Claude Giroux... No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's all the time we have. Um, that's all, I, I, I got to cut him off right there, man. I'm sorry, we're, we're already like 20 minutes over. Uh, skate and crease, never won the cup. Um, thanks, everybody, for uh, coming in. We had a good crowd tonight. Uh, I wanted to thank David for jumping in. I'd like to get David up here one of these times. I don't really like to do guests, for some of you noticing, because... Uh, whoever it was just there kind of noted. Um, I like to hear more stories from people. I'd like to hear more of your thoughts. I'm not interested in, you know, uh, you know, me and one person up here talking and you guys having to take notes like a Ted talk. So um, that's kind of one of the reasons I don't always do a lot of guests. And uh, like you noted, um, I, I like to hear more uh, from your stories like Jared's in Japan. I like hearing about that and just some of your own personal stuff. So that's kind of how we do it differently around here. Um, this has been episode six, World War Applebee's. This was a fun one. Uh, I, lo- I loved uh, all of the stuff that you guys brought in. So we try to keep it fun as we watch kind of Europe go completely to hell. And we'll probably end up losing the West Coast, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Um, so again, thanks everyone. Thanks for having a sense of humor about some of this stuff. Uh, you helped me get through it as well. Uh, we'll probably, I'm looking at doing this probably Monday, getting back on track. Um, so a, a quick turnaround and we'll figure something out and we'll do it again, uh, coming up here Monday. So again, thanks everyone. I'm Stephen L. Miller. This is Versus Media Live. Also, uh, I do have the podcast on Patreon. You can check that out, uh, for a small subscription fee. It's literally like it's, it's half the price of your daily Starbucks for a month. So it's worth it. I promise. Um, so you can get me over there. And as always, you can get me on Twitter where I, I hope to be pretty accessible. So again, thanks everyone for jumping in here. Thanks again to David and thanks again to Colin and most likely see you guys Monday, unless something goes nuclear other than the takes. And remember, don't ever talk to journalists.